Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK, brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamowski talk with jewelry designer and artist Lorraine West of Lorraine West Jewelry. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from sunny Los Angeles, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from also sunny New York City. <laughs> I had to say sunny because there was a hurricane that went... Yeah, sorry, is that is, is that over or is it done or... 100% over. I was actually in Monterey for car week in the Monterey Peninsula up the coast of California with Rolex for the weekend, which was utterly lovely. And then Jim and Nico, my partner and our son drove up to just enjoy the fancy hotel room. And we were all supposed to drive home after the Pebble Beach Concourse d'Elegance, which is where they parade all these fancy, very, very well-maintained mint condition vintage cars around on the Pebble Beach Golf Course, which is just a stunning location. Anyway, we were due to drive home right after that, like midday Sunday. And that would have put us right into the eye of the storm as it was lashing Southern California. So we ended up staying an extra night and thinking that we, Nico would miss his first day of TK, transitional kindergarten, which was supposed to start on Monday, but all schools across LA ended up closing. So it worked out. It worked out that we didn't end up driving on Sunday and we we got home. And, and now it's really sunny. I've, I've seen a lot of funny memes about how much prep and anxiety and angst there was as the storm was approaching and how relatively little damage damage, even though it was, a you know, the first tropical storm to hit in like 90 years or something. So I'm glad you're back on track. Yeah, fine. It's all good here. It was just a little hectic. You know, you never quite know. I guess East Coasters certainly have more experience with bracing for hurricanes, but we don't have that experience here. We really don't get any rain in, in August, typically. You get, the, you get earthquakes. And by the way, there was an earthquake. The memes all called it the hurricane. There was a 5.1 quake that struck near Ojai, which is about an hour and 15 minutes north of where I am in LA. And um, yeah, we do get earthquakes and that one also did not do much damage. So knock on wood, we we narrowly escaped our brush with natural disasters. Okay. I recently attended a Blackpink concert. Blackpink, that's, um, is that K-pop? Because Mikey's a Blackpink big... is K-pop, yes. And, I love that uh, Mikey's such a K-pop aficionado. How did yes, that happen? I don't know. It's been about a year. And uh, I'll tell you, the, the crowd was, was psyched. And it was a really, it was a cool show. And it actually, it did rain a little bit, but I think that helped bond the audience with the performers. And Mikey said I was a little cringe at times, but you know, <laughs> I don't know where he got that. Cause I kept saying, uh, where did he get that from? <laughs> yeah. Flag pink is the revolution. Cause that's one of their catchphrases. And, you know, I always thought that was really kind of dumb. So I kind of said that a lot, but uh, I think it's okay for a father yeah. to be cringe. Well, that's fun. I'm glad you got out for a concert. There's a yeah. lot of concert tours happening. And in fact, our guest, I think I saw on Instagram, had her own experience at a, a mega concert this summer. So we'll have to, we'll introduce her in a second and I'll have to ask her about, I think I saw she went to Beyonce's Renaissance tour. I guess I'll tee her up now since 
since I've already mentioned her, we've got the wonderful designer Lorraine West on. And so many people will know her through her participation in New York Jewelry Week. She's got a number of retailers. Greenwich Street Jewelers in New York City is a big supporter. Worked with De Beers. She's done a lot of interesting, great fine jewelry collections over the last few years. And we're so excited to have you, Lorraine. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Am I right? Did you, I did see you. Yes, you did an excellent job. I was a tour. I'm still feeling the high energy from that concert at MetLife Stadium. Was that the one where she wore like the Tiffany silver cowboy hat that I've seen in images that like that? I guess we're calling it disco cowgirl kind of aesthetic, right? Was that, yeah. was that? She has the cowgirl thing happening every night, but every night she kind of changes up some of the wardrobe. So for MetLife, it just felt like a New York vibe. Mm. It felt like a New York vibe. And I did wear my abstract palette earrings that she wore in the Black is King film. So just to kind of pay tribute to her. Were you backstage or in the audience or? No, just in the audience. Yeah. I, I bought a ticket like everybody else. You know, I believe believe in supporting artists. In my younger years, I used to go to a lot of concerts for free, working with many up-and-coming artists. And, and I, on occasions, I get invitations. But if not, I just get a ticket just to support. I mean, the Beyonce tour and of course Taylor Swift being the other mega tour happening now, but it does seem like a real cultural phenomenon. I, You know what, I think when we, because we have questions for you about some of your celebrity clientele and you've worked with a, a lot of people and the fact that you made earrings for Beyonce is just incredible. I, it gave me the chills when you just said that because I think for you to be there celebrating her, knowing that she's celebrated you must have felt great. But let's back up for a second because we I feel like we we don't want to start before we get the proper introduction. We all know you because you've really emerged in the last few years, but your career dates back some, what, 20, 20 years or so. And so we want to get the, the intro. Like, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you grew up on Long Island. And from talking to you earlier, I knew that your mom was a baker, your dad was a carpenter. So you come from this long Line of makers. Mm -hmm. uh, but tell us about a little bit about where you grew up and, and then we can talk about FIT and sort of what led you into jewelry. Yeah, so I grew up in Long Island in Central Islip, born and raised there. My parents are from the Caribbean. My mom is from Trinidad and my dad is Jamaican. They were bakers, gardeners, well, my mom was, and my dad was a carpenter and an electrician. He also did collage art, so he was really good with a very fine precision detail in all of his work. Both my parents were very tidy, neat, organized people and very creative, colorful, but they also loved a lot of mid-century design. So there was bold pops of things, yet there were very minimalist moments growing up. So I think that informed the future of my work. I've always been an artist since I was a child. I won my first art contest in the second grade and knew that I was going to be a professional artist and practice visual art throughout my life until the late 90s when the metal work came. And you were, your initial art sort of foray into art was, was it through painting or, or sort of, was it sculpture or what, or was it a mix? Yeah, it was drawing, painting. So I have, you know, a lot of experience with pencils, Conte crayon, charcoal, oil, watercolor, acrylic. I did a lot of wood carving in high school, worked with paper, paper mache, you name it. And you 
told the story about how you went into a metals supply store mm -hmm. and you left with a whole bunch of materials and that was kind of what started your jewelry career and you said at one point you weren't really sure why you did it but you just felt you were kind of drawn to it and it, it just mm -hmm. occurred yeah so while i was studying at fit i I went to FIT from 94 to 98. I have a degree in fine art and a focus in illustration. And during my junior year, I was just wandering around the city. I was kind of grew up in a strict household. So when I got to FIT and lived in the dorm, I was always wandering the city <laughs> on my own and um, walked past the store called Tohoshi and it's still open to this day. And they just had such a beautiful array of beads and materials and everything's like color coded. So it was like very visually drawing me in. I wasn't surprised that I felt attracted to jewelry supplies because growing up, I loved jewelry. My mom had a very curated jewelry box and she would let me play. And then during my junior high years, I started wearing kind of sophisticated looking jewelry <laughs> to school. Um, so I always had a love for jewelry. So walking past the store, I guess it was just the time, you know, like spirit moved me to spend my only $23 I had on me for another week or so, you know, took the chance and I haven't looked back since. That was 26 years ago. Oh my God, the late night, you just brought me back my first uh, time in New York. I moved to New York in 98. So we might have crossed paths somewhere down there near FIT. Yeah, I'm sure we did. Or at a club or something, maybe. Yeah. Oh my God, those days, it feels like a million years ago, but yes, because life has changed in New York. So you... You wandered in and I, I remember when we'd spoken, because you and I spoke when I was writing a piece about New York City Jewelry Week, I think it was in 21, the fall of 21. And you talked about like coming back to your apartment, I guess it was in Brooklyn and your, your name, you were looking for like an anvil or something, mm -hmm. right? Like, Oh that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good story. So <laughs> when I was living on was Vanderbilt Avenue in Brooklyn and I was working with leather at the time, making leather cuffs. And I had to use a hammer to close the snaps. So I went in front of my apartment building and would do the snap closures. So my landlord was an electrician. So he was a master welder. And he said, you're going to ruin the concrete in front of my building. <laughs> so you got to figure out another way. But a week later, he came to the apartment and brought me a custom made anvil that I still use to this day. And he burned LW in it. Oh, <laughs> So that anvil is what I use for many, many designs that only I create because I can't teach somebody else how to make certain things. And I argue this fact with many people that are like, you got to get everything made. I, I do work with contractors now on certain pieces, but there's certain pieces that I will continue to make, even if it's just a limited amount per year, because it's so special and you need my anvil and I'm not giving up my anvil to a production house. So it's a very magical tool in my studio. It. And it's there. You're talking to us from your studio now, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm staring at it right now. It's like, hey, girl. Are you working on anything? that we interrupted you from? No, not today. Today I scheduled just to do some online work in this interview and I meet with a client later. One of the things that you've said that I thought was really intriguing, you said that working with metals and gemstones is like dealing with people mm -hmm. and that you're shaping them and they have a certain personality. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, because, you know, metal has 
different temper, you know, depending on the type of metal that, you know, some metals require certain amount of heat. More metals can take more heat than others. Some metals can become more malleable every time you heat it. Some of them stay soft when you heat it too much. So, you know, usually the precious metals you can heat over time and, and rework. Something like brass, you have to, once you apply a lot of heat, it stays soft, right? So those are the personality traits I think that, you know, humans have too. You know, it's like knowing who's easy to work with, who's more challenging. You know, if you're working with a big piece of, you know, sterling or platinum, it's going to take more work. You know, it's like heating and it gets hard Then you got to heat it to soften it up and work it. So humans are like that too. And you have to know who's who and what kind of energy you're working with. Such a good point. Who who stays soft after being heated up? That's kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you learned all this. So you began working sort of with, it was primarily, was it brass primarily in the beginning or were you doing silver as well? Yeah. Well, in terms of metal, the first metals I ever worked with was wire. It was copper plated sterling. That's what I got it. Cause that store Tohoshi is more like a craft store. I mean, mm -hmm. they do have a small section where they sell sterling, but you know, I, I didn't really know much about metals at the time. So I knew like, Oh, let me grab this thin wire so I can bead or wrap stones around and then later i started learning like okay i don't want to work with plated wire i want to work with solid wire so then i started investigating other suppliers in new york city at the time metalliferous was open and i started going there to get a lot of sterling and even other kinds of brass and copper bronze uh, findings so the next metal i worked with solid metal was sterling was actually first and started experimenting with lost wax casting, carving out of wax. And a few years later, started working more with copper and brass and then got introduced to working with gold in 2003, 2004. I had my first gold commission from an artist named Raphael Sadiq. He's a, an award-winning mm -hmm. singer-songwriter. So he kind of opened the door to my fine jewelry career, actually. Are you mostly self-taught? I am mostly self-taught. I do have a degree in fine art, but I am mostly self-taught as a jewelry designer and maker. Do you think that's common? It seems like when we speak to jewelry designers, a lot of mm -hmm. them are self-taught. I think it is common because my experience entering into the jewelry space 26 years ago, when I would tell people that I design jewelry, they would say, oh, that's nice. You know, I think people look at it as craft more than like a fine art or a fine engineering route because I feel jewelry is engineering. You know, it's, it's art, it's science, it's math, it's engineering. It's all those things. And I think that people that aren't in the jewelry industry or have family or know people, they don't really understand what we do or sometimes respect it. So that was a challenge for many years, for almost a decade or more, is really when I meet people who say, oh, that's nice. My aunt does this or my cousin does this. Oh, I've dabbled in it. And not to take away from people who craft, because that's where I started. You know, I wasn't using precious metals or gems yet. But um, I always took it very seriously because I loved fashion and I would order magazines as a teenager, you know, L and W and Vogue and Essence magazine. So I was always familiar with fine jewelry and high jewelry. And I guess maybe it was in my subconscious that that would be a part of my future and handle the materials, those base materials, like they were fine materials. This podcast is brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. 
The De Beers Institute of Diamonds' mission is to grow and strengthen consumer confidence by providing integrity across the natural diamond industry, offering unrivaled diamond grading and testing exclusively for natural, untreated diamonds. The De Beers Institute of Diamonds provides diamond chairs with confidence in a report of each diamond's four C's. Every diamond graded at De Beers Institute of Diamonds is also given a unique inscription number, allowing the diamond's details to be tracked and viewed on their website. Visit institute.debeers.com to learn more and register for their grading services. How were you selling in those early years? Was it just word of mouth primarily? Or did you, I think you'd mentioned that you'd started selling at the Brooklyn Flea maybe around 2010, but what, yeah, what was your kind of mechanism to get the word out about your jewelry? Yeah, the first decade of my career was strictly word of mouth. I didn't really have a website until later on. I think 2010, I had my first real website. My work was on like other sites here and there, but mostly selling in the street. I'd go to Soho and sell in the street of, From 1998 to 2002, I would dabble with like selling on the street. And then some of the markets, there was a market where Tower Records was on uh, Broadway. They had a marketplace there. So some of the the little stores or shops, I would go around and show my work. And sometimes I'd get some wholesale orders or I was in small shops in the city and in Brooklyn. My first uh, retailer was actually Patricia Fields. They bought some leather bracelets uh, that was 90... Eight or ninety nine, I think it was ninety nine, and I just went to the store and asked to meet the buyer and showed them some samples, and they made some purchase orders. So I've always been very fearless when it comes to showing and presenting my work, and I don't really know where that comes from. I just have a natural confidence when it came to my work. I you mentioned to me again. This is we had a long conversation a couple of years ago, but you'd mentioned Erica Badu as kind of uh, was that a pivotal moment meeting her and having her embrace your work is that is that a oh, story definitely definitely badu is will always be a special part of my journey uh we met in the autumn of 1996 it was right before her album baduism came out and i saw an image of her in vibe magazine they had this article called the next so whoever was like going to be the next big thing and they were absolutely correct and i felt the same way i saw her image and it's like wow she's so beautiful, but there's something about her, you know, there's something majestic, different. And I had an assignment in one of my illustration classes where we had to find a celebrity reference in a magazine or wherever and do a stippling pointillism ink drawing. So I, I, I used her as reference. And it's so interesting how you can manifest something, right? Because I used her as reference, made this beautiful image and heard her music before I met her. So I fell in love with the way she looked, her music, and then heard she was at this poetry reading and went, introduced myself to her and said, hey, I'd love to give you a copy of this image. She said yes, delivered it to her place in Brooklyn, and she invited me to one of her first shows in the city. And the rest is history. You know, I started doing jewelry a couple years later, or rather the jewelry started looking more professional. So a couple years later, showed her some stuff and she started to order pieces from me. And did that lead to other celebrities? Oh, absolutely. So really, Andre 3000 was the first male 
artist celeb that ordered for me. I did some uh, leather cuffs for him. And then Erica saw the cuffs that I did for him and she started ordering leather cuffs. So I did a lot of leather pieces for her. I did some copper, brass, sterling silver. So she has like museum quality pieces that she's worn on stage, on her album covers and editorial spreads. She's been really supportive and not only being supportive of me and my work, but just giving me a chance. You know, I think that every designer needs a chance, whether it be working with retailers or getting their work in editorial spreads and magazines. She saw something in me that I don't even think I saw in myself yet. You know, and that's one of the gifts that I think she has of working with whoever she works with. I was very fortunate to meet her in the way that I did and for us to cultivate our creative collaboration that we had for almost two decades. God, that's incredible. She is a very... Majestic is definitely the right word. I like that. To go back to jewelry and kind of your transition into fine. So you started doing some custom pieces early on, but when did you really get into fine? Like, because now I think of you as a fine designer. So when did that transition happen and how? Uh, 2011, one of my dear friends met this magnificent guy overseas and, you know, within a year, he was ready to propose. So he knew that I did jewelry, but I didn't have any fine jewelry yet. And he said, can you help me with this ring for your friend? And I didn't know what he meant. Did he mean, do I take him to the jewelry district and, and show him around and maybe he buy something or is he asking me to design it? So I said, well, I could design it for you. And he said, okay. So I took all the experience I had from illustration days and even my prior days of designing and created a mood board, a vision board. And started asking a lot of questions. Where did they meet? What was the environment around them? So they met in South America and surrounding volcanoes. So I said, okay, well, let's make a ring that looks like a volcano and let's put a diamond in it. So I found a raw yellow Indian diamond. It was actually a bead because at the time, I think it was during like Jewelers vacation, so everything was closed, and he had like a deadline. The client, uh, their names are Kristen and Morton, and um, Morton's like, just get a stone. We can always like replace a better stone later, which we did. We did an upgrade, and I bought like a legit, amazing uh, raw yellow diamond, Ooh. and um, reset it. So um, that was the beginning. So I've been designing fine jewelry ever since. The last three years, been selling my fine jewelry wholesale. So. This has been a new journey for me. You said one of your favorite pieces, which is one that you wear a lot, was made up of a stiletto nail and a French manicure. And I thought that was an interesting combination. Do you want to talk about that? I mean, growing up, I I loved nails. I didn't have nails, but my sister was always into like the long nails and paint and all that, the cool designs. And now that seems to have come back into the culture. So I wanted to do some type of nail ring, but didn't look like other designers' nail rings. That was actually a commission. Originally, that design came from a commission for a fashion film that I did called As Above. I did those Ascension Halo nail rings in brass, and I put that ring away because usually the custom pieces, it's like, oh, it's just for one time or one person. And then I got called by the same stylist that worked with me, said, hey, I need these rings for the red carpet, a client for the Tonys. So I brought them back out. When I got asked from Melanie Grant to be a part of uh, Brilliant in Black at Sotheby's exhibition, she said, I want to see all your work because I want to look at it and I'm going to tell you what I think you should do, right? So I showed her the halo rings and she's like, we should do that in gold. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll add diamonds and really outline that part of the design that makes it look like a nail. So that's why I put the diamonds in that configuration. So if you are wearing it over your nail, you have that open space, but then you have that outline of the diamonds. 
Well, so I first learned of you through New York City Jewelry Week. Do you want to tell us about how you got involved with, you know, Bella and JB in the whole week? Was it 2019 that you were part of the Here We Are platform? Yes, uh, 2019. I was invited by Elliot Carlisle, whom was the director of Here We Are at the time. And Here We Are, for people who don't know, how would you describe it? Here We Are is a platform that's um, operated through NYC Jewelry Week, and it's really to highlight designers that haven't been seen. You know, whether they be designers of color, you know, new designers, designers overseas, it just depends, you know, just designers that don't have the access to entry into the jewelry industry and shine a light on them and present different initiatives and ways to promote these designers. So 2019, NYC Jewelry Week had a Here We Are marketplace, and some of us involved in the marketplace were able to do a series of talks, and I was able to do a talk, and that was very helpful for me because it kind of became a manifestation board You know, if someone's asked you, well, what do you see yourself and what are the things you want? And many of the things that I said I wanted has actually come true. And one of those things through working with NYC Jewelry Week was I created a virtual retrospective, a 20-year glimpse of my work. So it's called Glimpse. And um, I was the first awarded the exhibition award. It was sponsored by Greenwich Street Jewelers. So through Here We Are and NYC Jewelry Week, it gave me a new courage and opened me up to a new audience. It opened me up to a new jewelry family, you know, a lot of peers and people I'm able to build camaraderie with and collaborate with to this day. So I'm very grateful to JB and Bella and Elliot, also Alan Semich, who shoots all of my product photography. We've done many campaigns together. He works very closely with NYC Jewelry Week as well. Tell us what, how did your relationship with De Beers get going? Well, in 2020, I was contacted by Sally Morrison and she told me about a project called Black is Brilliant that De Beers wanted to partner with me to create a red carpet piece utilizing De Beers diamonds from Botswana. And they partnered with Rad Advocacy and I mean... I'm kind of at a loss for words because the experience has been life-changing and actually continues to be a gift that keeps on giving. So anyway, they partnered with celebrity stylist Wayman and Micah, and I was able to work with them and create a piece for one of their clients. We, we didn't know what client it was going to be, so that was a surprise. And they ended up placing the red carpet pieces on Kiki Palmer early in 2023. And you won the Diamonds Do Good Inspiration Award, I think, at the the last Vegas show. Mm-hmm. Was that, uh, that must have been cool. That was amazing. That was a pleasant surprise, you know, to be celebrated for my fine jewelry and also just the work, just being myself, really. You know, I'm all about community. I want people to shine. I believe that I can shine and others can shine and we can shine together. So it's, it's nice to encourage that. I was there at um, when you won the award and you were just... There were so many people around you. You were so, you know, you're beloved. So there was just, you have such a good energy. And there were so many people that wanted to, I could just see you sort of swarmed by people. It felt, (laughs) it must have been, it seemed like a really good moment for you. I mean, just to be acknowledged in such a public way. It seems like a really good stretch of of years. You've you've been on a a streak here, a streak of sort of when after what's next? What do you like? Is there something, a new collection you're working on or anything big on the horizon for you? I have a few collaborations coming up. I'm going to be collaborating with Greenwich Street Jewelers again. We're launching the Nipple Collection in 
14 karat and we're donating percentage of the proceeds to nonprofit. I will be doing a Muso collaboration. Mm. I'll be doing a Peridot collaboration. I'll be doing Recycled Gold collaboration <laughs> and working on a new website and a new collection as well. So I have my hands full. <laughs> And I saw you speaking at the Initiatives in Art and Culture panel, and you were talking about the future of independent makers. And obviously, there's considerable challenges as somebody who's independent and just starting out. Anything you got out of that panel and any kind of advice you would give to somebody who was like you starting out 20 years ago? Well, I would say for the next generation of, of jewelers starting out is to definitely have a source of income while you're working on your designs and your business. Because if you just get out the gate working on your business and you don't have clientele yet, it's going to be challenging and stressful and materials cost a lot of money. So, you know, you have to have a source to um, produce your work and just to be positive, believe in yourself connect with people in your industry, ask for help, get mentorship, and continue to grow your design skills and your craft. Whether it's like take a class, get your own bench and practice, see if you can get a job with a company so you can learn under experienced jewelers and artisans. This is a career path that you never stop learning and growing and you never know everything. So it's something that you can do for the rest of your life as long as you keep nurturing that love that'll give back to you. Amen. I can't wait to see these um, Peridot and Muzo emerald pieces and recycled gold. Wonderful. Well, I guess we're just at our time. Thank you so much, Lorraine. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. I feel like we had too little time, actually. It just sort of ran up on us. But you want to um, plug your website? or? Oh, sure. To follow Lorraine West, you can check out my Instagram at Lorraine West Jewelry. My website is www.lorrainewestjewelry.com. And also my virtual retrospective is Lorraine West Jewelry Glimpse. And you can Google me and find many more articles and podcasts. <laughs> Videos. <laughs> Videos, all that good stuff. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Lorraine. Such a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. Any views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinion of JCK, its management, or its advertisers. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.